So today, we're going to embark on a journey talking about the life of King David. I haven't really done some good detailed teachings on King David in a very long time. And some of these topics I've never talked about, like David's mighty men, his 30, which really there were 37, but some fade away and he killed one, Uriah, actually. In many ways, David's life was a mess, yet God had so much favor and love for him and his repentance and his authenticity enabled God to use him mightily. And ultimately, the, in his family line would come the Messiah. It's, a, it's really incredible what God did in and through him. Of all the figures in the Bible, at the top for me, of course, is Jesus, then would be the Apostle Paul, then King David, and then probably Elijah, because I resonate with them. Of all the seven churches, the church of Ephesus is the one that I seem to resonate the most with. Do I feel like we're a Corinthian church? Lots of revelation and what a mess, right? <laughs> but I'm much more wired as an as a Ephesus guy, turning cities upside down, causing riots, all because we did what God told us to do. Take me to the seventh wonder of the world, the temple of Diana, and let's turn them all upside down with the power of the gospel. I love stuff like that, right? But I often think about David's life, how he got to where he was at, and how God uses those same patterns for you and me. The very patterns that the Lord did in David's life are the same patterns for our own life, starting out as shepherds, unnoticed, in a field, the least in his family. Somehow he learned music, he learned to worship, and he learned warfare alone. And his own family looked down on him and despised him. And yet God moved mightily in his life when no one was looking. And when the time came that God anointed him, God was also moving in a servant of the king who the spirit had left, King Saul, and now he was possessed by a demon. And here comes the call of the shepherd boy who was anointed by Samuel to be king, but still the least and unnoticed to come to King Saul's palace and play the harp. I think about David as an outlaw because he was. he was. He was sought after by Saul for many, many years. He was hated by Saul. He was on the run. And he made a lot of decisions, some that were um, conniving, to say the least. And yet God still used him. And God still showed himself strong and brought a people around him a lot like Rock City. Rock City, in many ways, is like a lot like David and his mighty men. A lot of outlaws, a lot of broken people, a lot of crazy situations. There's people here in distress. There's people here that are weak, no nobility, no fame, no notoriety. People that live in the shadows and stay in the trenches. I'll take trench-fighting Christians all day long instead of people that retreat and quit and run away. You know, this church is not like any other church. I say that all the time. Now, I'm not watching all the other churches, but what I will say to you is this church has a prophetic mandate to be a remnant church. And I'll take 300 of you on fire, full of the spirit, uncompromising, unwavering, that are a remnant 1% group of believers that live like no other all day long. And that's how David would ultimately get his start. So what I wanna do today to help you is I'm gonna tell you a story you don't have to read the five chapters that I'm going to summarize. I know it well. I've read it so many times. 
But I'm going to summarize basically 1 Samuel chapter 17 to verse 22, or chapter 22, roughly. Five, six chapters. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna highlight the process that David went through when ultimately he would attract the outlaws to follow him. And those 1% outlaws would become 1% disciples. My job is to take a 1% outlaw and your job, the most hurting, broken, wicked, lost, outcast, and turn them into 1% disciples. Not religious robots, but people that love well, care well, know the heart of the Father. They don't have any institution pollution. They didn't come from jacked up dysfunctional. They came from no church. And society looked down on them and deemed them as outcasts. Now, that's not everybody here, but everybody was an outlaw in some way. My wife didn't do drugs in any of the life that I lived, but she was still an outlaw. Breaking God's covenantial laws, anyone and everyone hearing the sound of my voice or here today needs Jesus as much as the other. There's not one person that doesn't need Jesus more in here. Now you may think your spouse needs Jesus more than you, but I can assure you, I can assure you, you both need Jesus as much as each other. Amen. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So now I've set you up. Now just sit back and enjoy the ride. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. I'm going to sum up. I'm going to give you a synopsis of King David's life, King David's life. So first Samuel 17, we get David on the run from King Saul, who's hell-bent to kill him. Saul's anger against David stems from David's popularity with the military, the nation, and his own son, Jonathan, who found great loyalty in his heart towards David quickly. It's also rooted in the fact that Saul had severe insecurity inside of his heart and the fact that the Bible says the Spirit of God left Saul, King Saul, and now had gone on to David, all right? David was initially recruited by Saul as a musician, so David's ministry career started privately hidden in a field with sheep. But then Samuel comes along, anoints him at a young age, 16, 14 to 16, somewhere around there. But then Saul, with the spirit of God leaving him, starts to manifest basically a demon. It's called a distressing spirit. So Saul calls for a musician that can bring comfort and peace to his heart. There's something about an anointed worship leader or anointed worship music that will set you free and bring comfort to you in a distressing time. If you're running to worldly music, this is what I used to do, by the way. I'd throw on some classic rock and I'd listen to old memory or some old 80s and I'd find comfort in how it used to be. But nothing would bring healing and strength to my life and still to this day like anointed worship music. All right? So Saul calls for David and David gets his first job. It's playing the harp for Saul when he's manifesting a demon, okay? Then right after that, you get the battle with Goliath. If, if you don't know the story of David and Goliath, I highly, highly recommend you go read it. And I'm gonna assume most of you know it. Go read it again. But basically, David's dad sends David to the front line of the battle, Goliath is taunting Israel for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and Jesse, David's dad, sends David to the front line with meat and cheese and food. 
You guys follow? Listen, I'm keeping this crayon simple for you. This is Crayola simple. And there's not one person here today that can't track with this story. Okay, David gets, gets hired as a musician. The, bro, the dad sends him to the front line of the battle. And David sees Goliath. He's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? David's own brother manifests, ang- he's like angry at him and basically tries to stop him from fighting Goliath, but David's not having it and takes Goliath down. All right, you guys got that? I just summarized an entire chapter for you. And there's messages in every one of these chapters and stories I'm telling you, okay? So then Saul decides, this is my man. I'm putting him in charge of the military. I'm giving him an upgrade, a promotion, a new job, and puts him in charge of the military. And what's David do? One of the things you'll see as a theme in David's life early on was that he behaved wisely. So in every situation, he would behave wisely. God would honor him. He'd have great success. In fact, he'd have so much success that they started singing songs about him. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his ten thousands. And the premise of this song is that David is 10 times more powerful than the king. They start singing songs and playing dances and David becomes wildly popular and famous. And in turn, the king gets bitterness, jealousy, and anger in his heart and now decides, I'm gonna murder and kill David. You guys with me? Okay. So there were many ways that Saul would try to kill David. Then the very first instance you see, the distressing demonic spirit comes on the king and he calls again for David. But this time there's a spear. And when David shows up, the plan is Saul is gonna kill him. This demonic spirit that manifested in Saul's heart and mind in the moment that David's playing was hell-bent to destroy his life and to kill him. And we read that Saul threw a spear and this he meant to hit him and David was able to escape. And so David escapes. And then Saul thinks to himself, how can I trap him? I'm gonna have him marry into the family and marry one of my dysfunctional daughters. It's, I call this family manipulation, by the way. This is family manipulation. And he says, my daughter, Michal, will be a snare to him. And I'll be able to catch him because probably he's thinking testosterone and googly eyes is going to blind him. And so in turn, David marries Saul's daughter. And in the night, David sends, this is now the second time that David goes to kill him, David sends what I'll call mercenaries in the night. But David's wife realizes it, sneaks David out through the window and makes a a goat-haired guy that looks like a guy in the bed. But Saul's like, take the bed out and bring it all up. So they grab the bed and realize David's not there. He's gone, right? So David runs and escapes from the mercenaries that were out to kill him. So then David, I'm sorry, Saul decides, well, I'm going to put him in the battle and I'll use the dowry for my daughter as a way to catch him. And if I can't kill him, the Philistines will. 
And what's David do? He goes and gets 100 foreskins. You could not defeat David because God was with him and the spirit of the Lord was on him. My point was, is David knew that he was one step from death and he became what I will call a man on the run. We would also call that an outlaw. Outlaws are fugitives that are on the run and the government or the military or law enforcement, and in that day it was Saul, were out to kill him and David hightails it away from Jerusalem. Now, one of the first places that David goes, now this is very important, stay with me. One of the first places that David goes is to Ramah. Ramah is where Samuel lived, the prophet Samuel. Inside Ramah is a small little community. It's like Flower Bluff in Corpus Christi called Naoth. This community means dwelling places or living places. In this little community is a school of prophets and worshipers and musicians. When David gets to Samuel at Ramah, Samuel and David go to what I'll call a prophetic safe place, a prophetic safe place. And that, my friends, is what Rock City is. This is a place we just started prophecy rooms. We got a school of prophets coming. We have a house full of seers and prophetically gifted people. That's normal at Rock City. If you're not flamed onto your gift, the problem is many of you are seeing the dark side and you've been seeing it your whole life, but you don't realize that you have a gift to see the bright light side. God calls us out of the dark side, doesn't he, David? Literally. So many of us have lived in that place that God calls us out of to a place like this. So here's what happens. Are you guys doing okay? I'm storytelling with you. Just follow along. You can get this today. You don't even have to read your Bible to get this story, all right? So Samuel and David are hiding out in the prophetic stronghold. Prophets, musicians, worshipers, and a school of the prophets that Samuel oversees. Why would they go there? Let me tell you guys something. There are witches and people that come to this church that want to disrupt me preaching and disrupt this service and make you feel uncomfortable. I guarantee you I know this because I've talked to them and cast demons out of some of them. And you know what I say? Bring on the witches, folks. Where are they going to go? The power here is more stronger than the power in them. The, you can't stand against the blood of Jesus. Nothing can stop what God's ordained. And I'm not being arrogant and prideful. I'm not, I'm just saying to you, let the worst and the outcasts and the broken come here because even if they come with false intentions, you can't withstand the presence and the power of God. And to, to make the point, when David and Samuel are hanging out in the prophetic stronghold of Naoth, what's, what's Saul do? He sends a delegation, messengers, a small army to go capture him. Not once, not twice, but three times. Do you know why three times? Because every single time that those messengers of Saul showed up at Naoth, they walked into a meeting, much like this one. People are worshiping on their face, crying out. The, the, the spirit of prophecy is alive. 
and it will become more alive here in this house in the years to come. And so what did those messengers do? They started prophesying because they couldn't resist. They're like, wait a minute, I'm here to capture and kill David, but this is too good. I'm, I gotta prophesy. Because the presence of God is stronger than man's agenda. Seriously, that's why I tell you, come as you are. You don't have to be perfect, have it all figured out. I don't care what you're going through, how hard it is, you just need to come. Because next I'm gonna show you, not only is this like Naoth, it's also like a cave of Adullam. The name Adullam means justice for the people. And it's a place that 1% outlaws run to. Broken, hurting, dying, distressed, angry, anxious, weak, broken, not noble. Those are the people that God chooses and that God picks. And so three times the messengers go, they can't resist, they prophesy. And so guess what happens next? Saul goes himself, the king goes himself. And when the king shows up, you know what he does? He starts prophesying too, but something's different this time. The king, which is unheard of, takes off his royal robe. And all night long, he lays naked before the altar, prophesying in the presence of God. All night long. It's unheard of. But what I want to say to you is that still didn't change him because in the next chapter, David runs to Jonathan back at Jerusalem to confirm, is your dad, did he change? And guess what happened? The dad did not change. King Saul still wanted to kill David even after prophesying all night long. Now, he may not have been buck naked. He may have just been in his undergarments. We don't know the answer. It does say naked, which is a little strange. But the spiritual principle of that is, is when you get into prophetic atmospheres, hear what I'm saying to you today. When you get into prophetic atmospheres, you should take off your covering. Anything that you're hiding, take it off. We love you just as you are. You got no one to measure up for here. If you can't come here and take off the fig leaves and the control and the hiding, and that's another reason why some people leave is because they don't want to take it off. And ultimately, this becomes an uncomfortable house. I don't want to hide. I, that's, I try to be extremely transparent with you guys and vulnerable with you. And when I get in the atmosphere of the Lord, I just want to tell the truth and be honest and take anything off that's hiding my heart. It always starts in worship and an atmosphere of the prophetic, always. And so David finds out from Jonathan that nothing's changed. Like you get the whole story of him shooting the arrows. It's beyond you. You better run for your life because my dad is hot on your trail and wants to kill you, okay? In the next chapter, we're getting to about 19 and 20 now. In the next chapter, David goes to the high priest's house at Nob. And at Nob, he picks up a sword, Goliath's sword that he just so happened to cut Goliath's head off and he gets some food. That's the story of the unleavened bread. Even Jesus talked about that, that more than following the law, God wants you to care for people. And so in turn, he'd eat unleavened bread and get provision for some of his men that were lingering around, get the sword. He'd run to Gath where Goliath was from. I don't know how he pulled that off, but he feigned insanity. It's a crazy story of how David feigned insanity because he was afraid of God. He ran to the enemies. All these have great stories and messages to them. And then we pick up at 
1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. You guys ready? This is where I really wanted to go with all that that I just told you. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. David therefore departed from there and ran to a cave. He's a man on the run. He escaped to the cave known as Justice for the People. That's what the name of the cave means. So when his brothers, I find this interesting, now the family that once looked down on him and was angry with him at the battle, the ones that were not loyal suddenly are following you and being loyal. Let me make a point there. God always has a way of turning your family around. If you'll trust him and be obedient, his aim and his targets on you. He can fix every situation in your family. If you will flame on for the Lord, start to intercede, start to pray and become what God's called you to become. Because we pray in our prayers, God fix him. And God says, no, let me work on you because the more that you flame on with me, now how you pray, what you say and how you live will bring transformation to their lives. So this is the case in marriage. Husbands, wives, if you will flame on for the Lord individually, God will fight on your behalf for your spouse. That's what I believe. So the family followed him. Next verse, but guess who else went? A whole bunch of 1% outlaws. A whole bunch of them. About 400 to be exact. These people were in distress. They owed a lot of debt. They probably owed debt because they either stole or didn't pay their debts back. They were in major sorrow in their soul. They were, the, the word literally is discontent. If you look up the word, it means I have no content on the inside. But somehow these people had watched David behave wisely in the battles. Many of them were probably in the battles with him. And there were probably a lot of outcasts in the city of Jerusalem that when David became a man on the run from Saul, they said, we're following you. Because David had a way just like Jesus has a way. Jesus has a way just like David had a way. Why? Because Jesus is in the lineage of David. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So David in the trenches, in the fighting, in the battles, in the hardship, and then they're seeing these injustices from an insecure king. They follow David into the wilderness. Who were these people? They were people just like the disciples. Look at the first 12 disciples. They were competitive, they argued, they were outcasts, they were not a part of the mainstream religious culture. And that's the way David's mighty men are. What I find fascinating about these people is who they would become. Because all those, those scribes, attendants in the tabernacle of David, crazy worship leaders that are probably really a mess. I'm pointing to the backpack over here, my good friend back there, and my own guys. Listen, me too. None of us have it figured out completely. We're all in process and in, and in discovery. But the challenge is, is so many of us think you gotta be the perfect church going Christian. And because you're not, you don't do what you think you should do, but that's not who God picked. Where does this religious American Western lie come from? In my worst day, you know what I hear God say? That's how I picked you. Only God can take a 1% outlaw and make him a 1% disciple. You know, what, you know the, where the term 1% outlaw came from, right? 
I know this well because I lead a, a motorcycle ministry called the Tribe of Judah, two outlaw bikers. And it came from a term in 1947. There was a huge motorcycle rally in Hollister, California. Gunfire, guns erupt. American Motor- Motorcycle Association puts out a notice. Don't worry, everybody. Only 1% of motorcycle riders are outlaws. So motorcycle clubs, not everyone, but many of them took on the term 1% outlaw biker. And there's more to that. But the, the point I'm trying to tell you is in the kingdom of darkness, it's a one small percent group of people, supposedly. But in the kingdom of light, there's a small remnant of 1% people like you and me in this house. This is a remnant church. Not everybody's gonna love it. I don't need to be, I need to be whatever God wants us to be. It doesn't have to be 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. I know we're growing. I know that God's gonna bring more people. I know the harvest is coming. And I know he said, build a house for his name. But my main point I'm trying to tell you is that this church is like Naoth and it's a specific dwelling place of the presence of God. And it's a place where outlaw bikers can run to a cave because they've had injustice their entire life and they need justice. They need perfect love. They need, because most of these guys, most all of us that have spun out, spun out because of our childhoods, our parents, or the world we grew up in. Am I right? Come on. Put me in small town Missouri where all they do is get high and go to keg parties out on a back road at the gate with gravel, you know, keg parties. Yeah, very specific. That was my life. Not all y'all, but that was me. But whether it's, it doesn't matter where you've been, the point I'm trying to make is, first, true justice starts with being just. I'm only gonna be just when I have perfect love for you and I wanna take nothing from you. I don't want your money. Give to the kingdom. If God tells you, you give, you're giving to God, not me. When you give money here, I don't, get it. I don't get that money. It goes to the kingdom. I'm saying to you, that God has called us to reach the hurting, the broken, the lost, the dying. And not one of us doesn't walk in here even week in and week out without feeling sometimes discontent, in debt. Listen, I'm in debt. I'd like to let you all know that. I have some debt. Yes, I have debt. I have a home mortgage. I'm finishing paying off a vehicle. I have some credit card debt. I run businesses. I carry a lot of debt for those businesses. So when I walk in here, I walk in in debt. Sometimes I'm not content in my soul. Just have kids. I say this all the time. Seriously, I say this all the time. My kids push me to the brink. My salvation's always on the line. And let me say this. I'm gonna go on a slight rabbit trail. You can't expect your kids to flame on in the supernatural just by coming here once a week. And I'm going to tell you guys, I only get, you only get your kids for a certain amount of time. And I want to let you all know, I'm ready for my time to be up and I am tired. I know that's not what you thought I was going to say. You thought it was all going to be hunky-dory, glory. No, let me tell you, I'm 53 years old with three little kids, 11 and under. And I started this thing when they were babies of rubbing their back every night because I know I'm never gonna get it back. And we do this whole, we have like this bedtime liturgy. It's not just go to bed. 
It's like 45 minutes of a process, okay? And I somewhat created my own dysfunction, but let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about it. So, so what I do, what our bedtime liturgy is, it includes rubbing their back. For My wife sings them songs. I don't sing songs. Laying hands on them, praying for them, putting worship music on. Now imagine, 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night, you got the fan going, the lights out, glowing stars on the ceiling, worship music. I am done. Like, I'm ready for bed by 8, 30 or 9 as it is these days. So put me in a dark room with a fan and kids and worship music. I'm like barely rubbing their back. I'm like, how much longer? Lord, please deliver me. I'm like 11 years, 11 years of rubbing Cadence's back and nine years of Zion. And now, Kai, it's like, what have I created? Three kids every night. And you know what? I would not trade it for anything. You know why? Because I promise you, oh man, I'm not going to look back and say to myself, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I will never regret it. And another thing that happens at bedtime is when the kids don't really want to talk to you all day long, there's something about that last 30 minutes, right? That part of it is they're stalling. They're stalling because they don't want to go to bed. But another part of it is a lot of times we find that our kids will actually open up their hearts and say things in that last few minutes before bed that they wouldn't have said all day long. And I don't want to miss that. And I lay hands on those kids and I prophesy. I make declarations. I've told you guys this before. We want to teach our kids to live a supernatural life, both at home and in God's home. And I want to challenge all you parents. These are kids. They'll soak it up. Don't, don't feel hindered or limited by the lies of the devil. Prophesy. Be a house of prophecy before you come to the house of prophecy, and it'll be normal when you walk in here. These are my kind of people. This was every one of us. This is the kingdom of God. Let me show you a great, great scripture just to back this point up in case you ever forget it ever, which I won't let you forget it, but go to Micah 4, 7. And I'm gonna finish up, we're gonna pray for you. Micah 4, 7, are you guys good? Are you guys all right? Is that a yes or a no? Some of y'all are giving me stone cold faces like... Listen, this is not normal church. It's just family. I'll make the lame a remnant. You know what remnant means? It's a very small select few that never compromise and are not sold out and hooked into the world, unhooked from the world. We're not looking at porn. We're not getting drunk. We're not treating our wives terrible. We're not, we're showing up every single time. You know what I love about this guy right here? There's a million things I love about him. I'm going to tell you something about David Jenkins. I don't care where he's been or what he's done, but he shows up and he never doesn't show up. He only shows, doesn't show up once a year for Toys for Tots or unless he's in the hospital sick. He, 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 he is a sign and wonder. Faithful, loyal. He is a true 1% believer. And if you knew his story and where he came from, this whole message is probably written for him. This isn't showtime, not playtime. He's having dreams that God's revealing the deception of the world he's come out of. 
the leadership call on this man's life because he came to the cave of justice and no injustice was done to him by me or here. And who will become a mighty man? This man. Now, he's, he's the living poster child of this message, but it's also Lacey. It's also Andres, who's never gone down the roads I've gone down, but still needed the love of the Father and forgiveness as much as anybody. Came here as a young adult and now has three little kids and an amazing wife and leading entire departments. He went from a 1% outlaw to a 1% disciple because he was a lawbreaker. What, what do we want from church? You want your pretty utopia Christians and your pretty utopia home group? Seriously, you want everybody to be just like you in your socioeconomic class with money and wealth? And you need some of those people around you because you need people that understand where you're at, right? If, you, if, you, if I run five businesses, I need Keith Rose in my life. Seriously, I need somebody that's run businesses and been successful but I also need the broken and the outcasts in my life just as much. God takes a broken outcast people and turns them into what? A strong nation. And what do we do when they come here? Do you look down on them and question them? Or do we love them right where they're at? And when they send their son, maybe they're a single dad or single mom and they send their child who's been raised in so much dysfunction and has one parent that nonstop cusses like a sailor, and then the child comes here and goes back with your kid and starts dropping F-bombs and cussing in the kids program, and then we're like, oh, I can't believe that church. I can't have my little Johnny around them. Then you're missing the point. Teach your kids at home. My kids already know about cuss words, and they know not to say them. And sometimes they're like, oh, I won't say what they say. <laughs> My point I'm trying to make is that the kingdom of God is an outward bound kingdom from the inside out. And he takes broken people just like you. He takes you right where you're at. He loves you right where you're at. And he brings a ragtag crew of messed up people that don't have it all together. And you get every opportunity to be offended. Every opportunity here. Just be a Christian. Most people that just, if you just genuinely become a Christian and flame on, you will suffer persecution and you'll have the opportunity to forgive 480 times a day. Every 2.8 seconds. There's no perfect church and the body is an imperfect, beautiful bride that God puts together so that we can all refine each other and give you every opportunity to manifest so you can get your healing. If you could just grab onto that one line right there, it'll set you free, all right? Because some of y'all have major issues with church and issues with Christians. I'll go back to David. You should have seen how he treated me when I first met him. He was a blankety blank to me that day one, but he was testing me. And all the guys around him do that same thing. But when they see that you're legit, when they know you're the real deal, those shells come down and they'll follow you and they'll run to the cave of Rock City. 
And there better be some power here. Because if it's a nice religious church, they don't, nobody's going to want to come here. Where's the fire? Where's the prophecy? And you know, these religious leaders and kings and people are going to come and they're going to take their clothes off when they get here. And you're going to see a lot of ugly stuff. What are you going to do? This is who we're called. To be. I'm not moving off point. This is the way I've always been. I'm just getting more aggressive with it as time goes by. Now, in the, in the weeks to come, we're going to study this out more. I don't have time. I wanted to read to you 1 Corinthians 1, but I'm going to sum it up for you. God doesn't call the noble and the mighty. You know who God calls? The foolish and the weak. Not many noble. It's not about your family lineage. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how many guns you have or what you're packing. <laughs> and I got a lot of guns. A lot. I have more guns than I need. How's that? I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that. I like more guns. So if y'all want to give me guns, you can give me guns. I don't think you never have too many. Right, Keith? That's right. He's like, yeah. This is a naos, and there's a lot of prophetic gifted people here, and they're really messy. We say, how could you? What's the matter with you? And all the while, God's doing in them what he did with David's mighty men, because we're going to talk about David's mighty men. And how God took these people, go back to 1 Samuel. You can remember this, by the way, 22, 2. 1 Samuel 22, 2. These are the people that would become the leaders and the key critical people to build what David would one, and even his son would one day build. Now, what's going to be fun about this series is if you actually follow along, Many times, these really broken people turned against David. But David still loved them. He penned, by the way, if you go read Psalm 142, it was written from this cave. And in it, he says, everybody's against me. He's like, I can't trust anybody. David's life is such a good picture of the church today and our own life. Right? You ever had somebody turn against you you thought was really for you? But David loved better, and God turned their hearts, all right? So, I love you. That's all I got to say today. I'm proud of you. Embrace, look, I understand there's some, there's some great churches in this city, and I know almost every pastor in this city. And I love them. but we're not them. And they're not us. And that's how God designs it. God's showing himself strong there. What I want to say to all of you today is we are about to bust at the seams with these people. And I need you. We need help. You need to not get offended. You need to catch the vision. You just show up. Every time these doors are open, you show up. 
all these events show up because this isn't just about you and making you trying to be busy. We are on a mission to transform this community and city and to take God's voice where it's heard small. And one of the main reasons why I said yes to Tribe of Judah was because the voice of the Lord is heard so small in this world. And I, because I said yes, God brought me to this man and to so many others in this church 17 years ago. 17 years. All right, so I love you. Why don't you all stand? Can I get my prayer partners to come up real quick? Here's who we want to pray for this morning. I want to pray for those of you that are in distress. If you, if you are in a crisis right now, we want to pray for you. If you are hurting, if your soul is in pain, if you feel alone, whatever it is you're going through today, if you're going through it, don't go through it alone. That's what I'll say to you. You are in the right place. So if you'd like somebody to pray for you, make your way up to the front and let them agree with you for your life and just bring comfort to your heart, whatever it is you're going through. You guys can come up for prayer for healing or anything that you need. Now I'm gonna pray for you publicly. You guys just make your way up if you want somebody to pray with you. Lord, I lift this church up to you right now and I thank you, God, that this is a house of outcasts, former outcasts that became sons and daughters. From 1% outlaw to 1% disciple. Make us a remnant bride, Lord. Make us a remnant bride. I thank you for all these families and friends that come here every week. I pray life to your children, your marriage, your home. I pray strength to you. And I pray that you would always run to the Lord where his cloud and his presence is and that you wouldn't retreat or run away. I bless this church, Lord. I bless every one of you. Sweet comfort to your heart and your mind. You know who you are. You trust the Heavenly Father with your life. And God, I thank you for those that are coming behind us, that this is a safe place, a cave of justice, where repentance and forgiveness, mercy and grace can be found. I bless all of you mightily today. Be strengthened by the Spirit of the living God. And Lord, I pray that the spirit of prophecy would fall upon this house and upon every person that comes here. I bless you mightily. In Jesus' name, amen.